better to uh, sort it out at the start than halfway through. Thanks for that, Bang. What was I saying? Grab a coffee. If you're first time here, grab a coffee, have it up, pray, and we'll get straight into Luke chapter 7. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that as we uh, dig into it together and confront ourselves in your word, that you would uh, show us who we really are, that we would uh, see our failures for what they are, um, but also, Father, see the hope that you offer us in the face of our failures. Father, would your word this morning go out amidst us and do what you have planned for it to do? And we know that you say that it will do that. So we thank you for your promise that your word will shape and change us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, when I was a kid uh, in kindergarten, I was a pretty shy and awkward kid. I didn't have that many close friends. I had like one best friend. I was like, yeah, that's good enough for me. Other than that, not much going on. Now, this isn't a pity story. But, but maybe it kind of is. I remember one time in kindergarten, we were sitting at our desks and we were just chatting to some of the guys on the desk. And there's this one kid who I was really getting along with and we were, you know, having a bit of a chat. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I do remember asking him at some point, hey, do you want to be friends? And he looks at me and says, no, I've already got a friend. And so I never asked anyone to be a friend ever again. You know, like... That rejection hurts. That memory is seared into my mind. I'm not going to forget that one anytime soon. I don't know if you've ever felt uh, rejection like that. It may have not been a friend sitting on your table in kindergarten. It may have been a potential boyfriend or girlfriend. It may have been a job. It may have been a uni degree. I, I don't know. But I think we've all felt some kind of rejection at some point in our life. And it doesn't feel good, does it? You know, once we experience it once, we don't want to do it again. And we kind of do everything we can to avoid being rejected. In fact, we even start to anticipate coming rejection. You know, we go, yeah, that person's out of my league. I'm not going to bother. I'm not qualified for that job. I'm not going to apply. I'll never get the marks to get into that. Blah, 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 blah. We kind of reject ourselves before anyone else can. But it's most tragic when we do that with God. It's easy for us to feel like we're not good enough for God. I mean, it's easy for people to feel like they're too good for God. But for many of us, we feel like we're not good enough for God. But the problem with this kind of self-rejection with God is it misses one really important question. What kind of person does God accept? What kind of person does God accept? Does God only accept perfect people? Well, no one's perfect. We all know that. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever let someone down? Have you ever let yourself down? We know we're not perfect. And anyone who thinks they're perfect, well, they're just self-righteous. And we already have a sense that self-righteous people aren't what God's after. So if it's not the perfect person, is it the good person? Not perfect, but good. But what's good enough? How can we know? Is there some kind of standard out there that tells us this good and that's enough? Well, what about a bad person? What about, you know, we often see ourselves as, as failures. And we often see ourselves as someone that no one could accept, that everyone would reject. Does God accept that kind of person, full of shame or guilt? You know, I think many of us ask the question at some point in our lives, especially if you're joining us at church. People at church have asked this before. Why would God accept me? 
And the simple answer that we give ourselves is, well, he wouldn't. Of course he wouldn't. I'm not good enough. He wouldn't accept me. But today, as we get into this passage, we actually see that there's a different answer to this question. We see that the type of person Jesus accepts is fundamentally different from perfect or good or bad. Jesus gives us hope that he can accept us. And so today, as we get into this passage, we're going to meet two people. We're going to meet two debtors. We're going to see two greetings. And I'm going to ask five questions. Now, that sounds like a lot. Don't worry, we'll move through it pretty quick. So let's look at two people. Jesus meets two people in this passage. So come with me to Luke chapter 7. If, if you've got a Bible in front of you or an app on your phone, crack it open, leave Luke chapter 7 open. We're going to keep coming back to this passage. So Luke chapter 7, look at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. Now this may seem fairly unfamiliar to us, right? Going to someone's house for dinner, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> you weren't allowed to go to anyone's house. But Jesus is invited to this guy's house for dinner. And at this party, he meets two people, which again, it seems foreign to us since we're not allowed to see anyone unless we're outside of a picnic. But Jesus is at this party, and he meets two people. The first is the host of the party. It's, it's a Pharisee. We find out his name's Simon a little bit later in the passage. Simon is a Pharisee, which is a religious leader. And one of Jesus' main critiques of this group of leaders, the Pharisees, is that they are self-righteous. That they trusted in their own ability to keep the law and do good to be accepted by God. That's the first person Jesus meets. The second is a woman. Look at verse 37. Luke 7 verse 37. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So Jesus is at this dinner party with Pharisee and probably all his Pharisee friends, religious leaders, all those kind of deals. And this woman arrives. And she's very different to Simon and, and probably many of the other guests. She's called a sinner. She's lived a sinful life, which most likely means that she was a prostitute. She was the kind of person that would never, ever be invited to a Pharisee's dinner party, right? Compared to the kind of religious elite of the Pharisees, she was a social outcast. They're, you know, you don't compare a Pharisee to this kind of woman. They're just apples and oranges. They didn't mix together. And imagine how much guts it would have taken this woman to enter into Simon's house. She, she had lived a sinful life. She doesn't go to these kind of dinner parties, yet she so needs to meet Jesus that she goes into Simon's house. And look how she treats him in verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. She performs an act bordering on the obscene almost. She's so overwhelmed with emotion that tears are streaming down her face and falling onto Jesus' feet. So much so that it completely drenches his feet. And then she takes out her hair, which is a big no-no in this culture. You only really did that for your husband. But here, this prostitute takes out her hair and wipes Jesus' tear-drenched feet. And then when she's done wiping them clean, she begins kissing them and pouring this perfume 
Not on his head, where you normally would, but on his feet. And this isn't some, you know, 30 seconds she's in, <laughs> white, 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 poor, done, out of here. No, no, this would have taken a while. This would have been, you know, minutes and minutes. People would have been staring in shock, you know, mouth open. What's going on? What's this woman doing? And Simon is thinking what I imagine everyone is thinking at the table. How can Jesus be a prophet when he lets this kind of woman do that to him? He mustn't know who she is, which means he mustn't be sent from God at all. How can he not know who she is? Simon is sitting there judging Jesus. And you know what? If we were there, we would probably be judging too. Because we've got to imagine what it was really like. Imagine if we're back in the church building, you know, in a, in a month or two time when we're actually able in church and uh, we're standing up the front preaching the word and a woman walks in, an escort walks into church wearing seductive clothes, smelling of alcohol and cigarettes and she walks all the way up the aisle and she sits down at my feet and spends 10 minutes cleaning my feet with her hair and her clothes. What would you think? If I saw that happen, I'd be a bit judgy too. You know, who does this woman think she is? Why is Jesus not stopping her? Can't he tell what kind of woman she is? As this sinful woman approaches Jesus, we learn something astounding about Jesus. That anyone can come to him. We learn that anyone can come to Jesus. Jesus doesn't turn the woman away. Jesus won't turn you away. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can come to Jesus. He will not reject you. And the rest of the passage tells us why. The rest of the passage tells us why Jesus accepts everyone. So next we need to look at two debts. Two debts. Right? So come with me to verse 40 and have a look at how Jesus responds to Simon. Uh, chapter 7, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. Well, Simon's on the money there, right? Jesus, Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. Jesus knows... Simon's silent judgments in his mind. And Jesus answers those thoughts with this story, with this parable. And he, this parable is about debts. It's a short story, but it's really powerful and it gets the point across. Two men owe money. One owes about two months wages, right? The other owes about 18 months wages. Neither can pay. Neither of them has the money to pay it back. And so the money lender forgives both debts. The two month debt, and a year and a half debt. Who's going to love more? Well, the one forgiven more, right? Jesus is saying to Simon, you and the woman both owe God a debt. Simon, your debt is smaller, but you still can't pay it. Your self-righteousness has made you unworthy. Now the woman's debt, it's larger. She has lived that life of sin. Each person's sin creates a debt owed to God, but the key difference is the woman shows greater love for Jesus. 
because her debt has been forgiven. What Jesus is saying here is that the size of the debt doesn't matter. Two months, a year and a half, a little bit of self-righteousness, or a lot of self-righteousness actually, or a life full of sin, it doesn't matter. God can forgive any debt. It doesn't matter if you've lived a life of sin or, or you've been mostly good. Neither debt can be paid by us. But God can forgive both. The size of the debt doesn't matter. Running a little bit behind here. The size of the debt doesn't matter. If you feel like a failure, God can forgive you. If you feel like you aren't good enough, God can still accept you. If if you're full of shame and guilt, it doesn't matter. God can forgive you. Your debt is not too large. You are not too bad for God. God can forgive you, and God will forgive you. But the question is, on what grounds? If it's not about the size of the debt, why would God accept us? Well, let's look next at two greetings. Two greetings. And come with me to verse 44. Uh, Verse 44. Then he turned to the woman, that is, Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. You see, Simon's greeting fell far short of what Jesus deserved. Simon showed that he loved Jesus little. He provided no water for Jesus to wash his feet, which was customary. He gave him no kiss of greeting, which was customary. No oil to anoint his head, which is something that you do for someone like Jesus coming to your house. Simon's greeting fell far short of what it should have. But the woman, she drenched Jesus' feet with her tears. She didn't stop kissing him since he entered the house. She anointed his feet with perfume. She loved Jesus. To put it in uh, maybe more modern terms, imagine that you were one of the debtors in Jesus' story. Imagine you were the one that owed a year and a half worth of money, right? You couldn't pay it back and you had been forgiven. Put yourself in that position for a sec. You'd been forgiven much. You have a dinner party to thank the money lender. You invite him over to your house, right? What would that dinner party look like? What would that dinner party look like? How would you treat that money lender who forgave your huge debt? Imagine a banker said, your mortgage, don't worry about it. Gone. Credit card debts, out of here. Forgiven. What would the dinner party you would throw to thank them look like? Would you sit in your PJs until the moment they turned up, watching TV? When they came in the house, would you dust off the dog couch and say, yeah, you can sit there, just watch the dog hair? Would you say, yeah, yeah, dinner's in the fridge, it's just the leftover KFC that I had for lunch, you know, help yourself, microwave's there, sort yourself out, you got it. I don't think so. That's not how we treat someone who forgave us so much. But that's kind of how Simon treated Jesus. You know, those who experience forgiveness respond in love. But Simon clearly hasn't experienced forgiveness. And so look with me at Jesus' conclusion in verse 47 and 48. Therefore, 
I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The size of our debt doesn't matter. What matters is how we respond to Jesus. The woman, she responded in love because she had experienced forgiveness. And, you know, people in the room are asking good questions at this point. Look at verse 49. I'll I'll read it. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Now, that question's a good question because if the woman had only sinned against God, her her life of sin was sin against God, how can Jesus forgive sin? Well, I'll tell you how. Jesus is the one who paid the debt for her. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus took the punishment that she deserved. And you know what? If you want forgiveness from Jesus, then Jesus has taken the punishment that you deserve. Jesus has taken the punishment that I deserve. Jesus is the one who's forgiven our debt because he's pulled out his own wallet, pulled his own cash out, and handed it over. He has paid our debts for forgiveness. You see, the woman's trust in Jesus is what saved her. She trusted that Jesus' death on the cross, which hadn't yet happened yet, but she trusts that Jesus would forgive her debt, which he does by dying on the cross. And so, verse 50, Jesus says to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She trusted that Jesus could forgive the debt. And Jesus paid the price for it. He paid the price to forgive us. That's how we can know we're forgiven. So we've seen a bunch of things. We've seen that anyone can come to Jesus. Doesn't matter if your debt's big or small, anyone can come to Jesus. Because, secondly, we saw that it doesn't matter about the size of your debt. The size doesn't matter to God at all. Because, thirdly, what matters is your response to Jesus. Will you trust that he will forgive your debt? And this means, all right, this means that even if you feel like a failure, even if you feel like God could never accept you, even if there's something in your past that you find ugly, that you are filled with guilt and shame about, or something in your present, right? God can and will accept you if you seek forgiveness. The size of your debt doesn't matter. There is hope in the face of your own failure. And so this leads to five questions, right? Five questions. The first is this. Do you recognize that you owe a debt? Do you recognize your indebtedness to God? For some of us, we are painfully aware of our debt to God because we feel like God couldn't accept us. But for others, we might not feel like we owe God anything. But both Simon and the woman owe God a debt. The woman's is obvious. Simon's is less so. His self-righteousness has created a debt that he can't pay. The question is, which person are you in Jesus' story? Are you the woman or are you Simon? Are you the woman who recognises her debt or are you Simon who doesn't? Because until we recognise our debt with God, we'll never seek forgiveness. And if we never seek forgiveness, then our debt, which really is there, won't be paid by anyone but ourselves. If you're not convinced yet, I encourage you to keep exploring. This is life and death, right? 
So keep exploring. Come to Introducing Jesus. Starting this week, Bobby told us about it. You can head to the website. You can head to Facebook. Find details there. You can uh, email me, tim at marsfieldcc.org.au to ask questions. Uh, come along. Check it out. It's on Zoom. It's going to be super easy to join. Investigate. Do I really owe God a debt? But the second question is this. Have you been forgiven? For those of us that do recognize the debt that we owe to God, have you been forgiven? You might realize you owe a debt, but haven't asked for forgiveness. And, and this is really people who just feel the guilt and shame and feel like God can't accept them. The message for you today is you can be accepted. Just seek forgiveness. Come to Jesus. He will forgive you. He offers hope in the face of your failures. Well, this leads me to my third question. And this is one that you might be asking yourself, right? Can I be sure that I am forgiven? Can I be sure? Can I have any certainty? This is a very good question. Remember, it's not about the size of your debt. Jesus can forgive any debt, big or small. It's about Jesus who forgives the debt. If Jesus says we're forgiven, then we can be sure of it because he's the one that's paid it. And that's why verse 48 and verse 50 are so astounding. Verse 48, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. There's no more debt. Jesus has forgiven it. And if Jesus says he's forgiven it, it's forgiven. We can have faith like hers today. We can have trust like hers today. Trust Jesus and be forgiven. My fourth question is this. Say I've been forgiven. Say I've trusted in Jesus to pay my debt. What does the forgiven life look like? Well, it looks like washing Jesus' feet with your tears. Wiping them dry with your hair. Never stop kissing his feet. Anointing it with perfume. It's this act of love. That's what the forgiven life looks like. It looks like radical love and gratitude because of your forgiveness. It looks like inviting your, your uh, money lender who's forgiven your debt over and not serving KFC. Jesus has forgiven much. So we love much. Now, I want to pause here for one moment. If you're a religious person, right? You, you, you go to church, you have a background in church, you, you know, believe in God, believe in Jesus, all those things but show no love for Jesus, then there is something deeply wrong with your faith. And here's the problem. You haven't experienced forgiveness. Or you may not have experienced forgiveness. You may actually be Simon in this story. If you call yourself a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus, someone who knows God, someone who's religious, yet don't show love, then you may not have experienced forgiveness because this kind of forgiveness radically changes us. It changes us to live a life of love and gratitude. And so you today might need to recognize that you're Simon in the story and seek forgiveness for the first time. Love Jesus. Remind yourself of the truth of the gospel. Jesus accepts you. Jesus loves you. Jesus pays your debt. Jesus saves you. How can we not love Jesus when that's the reality? How can you not love the one who's paid your infinite debt, rescued you from death to life? Love Jesus. And so this brings me to my final question. What if you're neutral to Jesus? 
What if you're neutral to Jesus? And by that I mean, what if you're perpetually sitting on the fence? You're not willing to make a decision about Jesus either way yet. You're like, I'm not sure if I can trust him yet. I'm not willing to throw him out, but I'm not sure if I can trust him yet. But you're perpetually there for months, years, all your life. I'm not quite ready to make a decision, but I'm not quite ready to throw Jesus away. Can I just say that doesn't work? That doesn't work. In fact, that choice not to choose is a choice. It already is a choice. Let me explain. Imagine I invited you to my house for dinner. And don't worry, I'm not serving you leftover KFC. Imagine I invite you over and you say to me, I'll think about it. I invite you again. A couple days later, come over to my house for dinner. And you say, I'll think about it. I ask four more times and four more times you say, I'll think about it. You're not actually neutral to my invitation at all, are you? By sitting on the fence, what you're doing is just rejecting my invitation. Sure, you're saying I'll think about it. But what you mean is, no, I don't want to come. By sitting on the fence, by remaining neutral perpetually, you're actually choosing to reject Jesus. Because unless you ask for forgiveness, you still owe your debt. Until you've come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I trust you, I want your forgiveness, you still owe your debt. By sitting on the fence for the rest of your life, you're actually rejecting Jesus. And don't reject Jesus. There is no debt too large. There is no guilt too great. There is no shame too deep that Jesus won't forgive. Don't sit on the fence. Come to Jesus. Accept forgiveness. Be saved. And go in peace, full of love and gratitude. That's what Luke 7 is all about. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in this passage he has shown us that we do owe a debt and that debt is beyond our ability to pay. Even a small debt is beyond our ability to pay. And God, we are sorry. We are sorry for our sin that has created this debt. Father, please forgive us. Father, for those of us who just feel the guilt and the shame of the life we have lived or the life we continue to live Please show us the forgiveness that we can have in Jesus. Please help us to experience that forgiveness and love that you show us in Jesus. And help us turn and respond in love and gratitude. For those of us that aren't yet convinced of the debt that we do owe, Father, please show us the truth. Please show us that we're not all we're cracked up to be. Please show us what self-righteousness we might have. And help us to come before you humbly owning up to our debt and seeking forgiveness. And Father, for those of us that are sitting on the fence, unwilling to make a choice yet, please nudge us towards Jesus. Please push us so that we might seek forgiveness and not reject it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.